What a joy to be kind of raptured away in worship this morning. Uh, caught away in the knowledge and truth of, of Christ, our, our crucified Savior, our resurrected Savior, our Redeemer. Lord, what a blessing to sing with the saints. Lord, thank you for exalting your Son to us, Lord. Through your word, through a changed life you've done for us, Lord, it's evident. And we thank you for this church and how you continue to put Christ front and center in all that we do. Lord, we thank you for those who are here. We are so grateful for the many people who filled both services, Lord. But Lord, there are some that can't be. They're at home, some watching, some in hospitals, some recovering, some heading for surgeries. We pray for your mercies upon them, Lord. May they recover quickly and return to us, Lord. Help them know we love them. We pray for them. We long to be together with them. Lord, I praise you for the last few weeks of so many missionaries we've been able to touch base with me personally, Lord, just hearing their battles through a difficult year, but they're clinging to Christ and his word and the, and the opportunities that you're giving our missionaries around the world, Lord, to spread the gospel of Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, please bless them. Lord, help us as we give to be mindful that our gifts not only serve this ministry, but they serve ministries around the world. We're so thankful to be in partnership with that. Now, Lord, we want to turn to your word and we need your spirit to help us. I need it to help me we need it to help us to be good hearers, Lord. May your spirit take the truth of God's word, pierce our hearts and minds for your glory. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, July 4th, 2021, in America, is the 245th 4th of July we have had together as a nation. Though, though the document wasn't signed, it wasn't completely signed on that date. Hate to burst some of your bubbles. It was August 2nd. Just almost a month later when they finally got the last of the signatures on it. But it was a day that Americans rec recognize and celebrate that we declared our independence from Great Britain. And we became a nation. A nation under God. Our own testament of our documents talk about our reverence and our understanding of a sovereign God. And yet we have strayed from that. But I love to think about Independence Day because it makes me think about the day I became dependent on Jesus Christ. See, as unsaved people, you live independent of God. You, you try to, at least. You don't realize how good he is to you. But in a sense, you live independent of God. There was a day where you and I became dependent upon him for everything. And that's a great day to celebrate. I don't know if there's anyone 245 days years old in that in here i don't think so but many of us have had many years of walking with the lord jesus christ and then there's some in here who have just come to faith just starting their dependence on the lord jesus christ what a blessing what a great thing to celebrate well the bible speaks often about freedom and particularly in the context of first corinthians and second corinthians this church had unjustly put themselves back under some slavery in themselves. They, they were now turning to the world's wisdom and they found themselves not walking with God in a way they should. And so Paul has to write to them often about the Spirit of God and how he brings freedom. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, flowing in the same context to the same church, he says, Now the Lord is Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, there is freedom, is the word. There is freedom. And look, we have so much freedom in Jesus Christ. And most likely that verse is referring to the many freedoms you have through the Lord Jesus Christ, your salvation and the presence of the Spirit that dwells within you. I want you to just think for a minute about some of your freedoms. Let me, let me just throw this at you. You are free because the Bible says you are no longer under condemnation. Now, people say they're free. Oh, I can do whatever I want. And yet, listen to this, they lie under the judgment of God. They're still condemned. In fact, the Bible says as they reject Jesus, they remain and remain condemned already, John chapter 3 says. But you and I, that's not, that's not the same with us, right? We are free from condemnation. God will never judge us for our sins because he judged who? Jesus. Jesus was judged in our place, and so there's no condemnation to those who are what? In Christ Jesus. That's freedom. <laughs> That's freedom. Not to have to pay for our sins eternally, 
because Jesus Christ's work. A few other things. Think about guilt. You know you're free of guilt. Paul speaks about guilt a lot, and he speaks about a clear conscience. Now, the only way you can have that is freedom in Jesus Christ to have freedom from guilt. Now, the Lord uses our conscience through the Holy Spirit to prick our hearts when we're not living according to his design, when we chose not to live or walk his way. When, he, when we do that, our conscience will be pricked. The Spirit of God, the truth of the Word of God will prick that. And, and so there will be a, a sense of guilt, but not guilt like death brings, like sin brings. Paul says this, my conscience is clear. Whoa, wait a minute, Paul. Didn't you put a bunch of people in prison, even have your hand in their death? How did you get a clear conscience? How did you get rid of your guilt? Freedom in Christ. Freedom in Christ. So we are free from our guilt, right? As believers, we repent, right? We confess our sins, we repent. But we don't live under guilt because Jesus died. Think about sin. Sin's goal is always death, isn't it? It always wants to destroy, break, and kill things. That's what sin does. You know it. You know it in your own life. You know it in your relationships. You know what sin likes to do. We don't have to fall under that. We're free from the wages of sin. Yes, I might die physically. You may die physically if the Lord does not return. But we don't die eternally. Isn't that beautiful? We live forever with our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll live with him. We're free from the second death. That's the death you want to be free from. We all might see death in this room someday, but boy, if you see the second death, that's eternity. That's hell. That's God's judgment on you forever. And yet we're free from that as Christians. You know, you know we're also free from the old covenant. You say, well, Scott, why would you bring that up? Because I like to think that, that I do not have to keep a list of things in order to have God pleased with me. That's what the Bible teaches, right? Jesus Christ came to fulfill the first so he could usher in the second. That's the new covenant. And so we don't come to God with our lambs and our grain offerings and our free will offerings. Jesus Christ was those offerings. He now fulfilled all that. And our offering now is this, the praise of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we offered well today. Thank you. That was great. We offered our praise to the Lord. And so he's fulfilled the old covenant. It was all pointing forward to Christ anyway. All of that was pointing towards Jesus Christ. And yet so many people got caught up in legalism and trying to bring themselves to God. Oh, Jesus has given us a new covenant. We're free. Blindness is a major issue. We have people in our church who um, are challenged with their sight. Um, they're, they're dear people. I hope you get to know them. Um, uh, they'll tell you this. They'll say, I've never seen Jesus more clear. <laughs> As they, when they came to be Christians, even though they did not have their physical sight. But what they lost in all of that receiving of Jesus Christ is they lost the blindness of sin. Sin blinds. And it would rob your freedom. If you cannot see, you, you, you lose a certain freedom, don't you? And sin blinds. And, and God has given us the freedom of sight. We can see our Lord. We can see our Lord through the scriptures. We can see his handiwork on our world. Oh, God has given us so much freedom in so many ways. And then lastly, think of this just in a way of introduction. We have freedom to walk in the presence of our Lord daily. Isn't that beautiful? Only Christians can walk in the presence of God. The world, is not, the world does not have access to God. They don't have access to the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's holy, right? So all that want to walk with him, all that want to be in relationship with him, they must be holy and blameless to be in his presence. And so we know that Jesus Christ died for us. He's freed us from our sin. He's made us holy and blameless so we can walk, listen to this, daily with our Lord Jesus Christ, let alone eternally. Well, you want to talk about freedom. You want to talk about freedom. That's, that's what freedom is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the Spirit is always connected with freedom. And as we move into chapter 2 this week and next and the following weeks to come, you will see the doctrine of pneumatology really go on display in these. Because freedom comes with the Spirit of God. Law, law brings death. Spirit brings life and freedom. And so you're going to see the way the Spirit works. And the Spirit's always connected with our freedom in Christ and our freedom to not have to bow to the fallen world's wisdom. You have freedom to do that. I'm going to hit that over and over today. You have freedom to say no to the world's wisdom, the world's fallen 
wisdom. Well, in chapter 2, Paul is going to conclude his final argument that both the message of the cross and the Christians who cling to that message stand in great contradiction to the present-day worldly wisdom that comes from fallen man. And he's going to turn to himself as the primary example. Here he will show himself that he has proved that the means of the cross, the work of Jesus in the church, but, but him as a preacher himself, that he finds freedom to preach Christ, preach the cross of Christ despite his own giftedness. Now, the Apostle Paul will use these similar arguments that he's been talking about at the end of chapter 1. He loves that God uses the weak and foolish things of the world to point to his glory. So he's going to remind us that it's not our abilities, it's not who we are, what we're able to do on our own that brings glory to the Lord. It is the Lord working in and through us. And Paul wants that to become clear. And his purpose is that God will show himself mighty so the church will not put their hope in human wisdom, but in the hope, but our hope in God's word alone. Now, Paul has used every way possible to show us that um, the world looks at the cross of Jesus Christ as foolish. And, and, and it helps us understand that at the root of all of that is sin. Sin rejects the, what the world calls the foolish message of the cross. But he's going to say he loves to use those who are simple or, or not, not great in their own minds to bring about the greatest message in the world. So the message itself and those who receive it and those who preach it should reject any reliance on the world um, for our sanctification, for our growth, for our love for Christ through the word of loan. So now let's look at four thoughts here this morning in this passage to help us understand it. Number one. The Christ-glorifying proclaimers, that would be me and you, anybody who proclaims the gospel, the Christ-glorifying proclaimers understand and embrace their own weakness in order to boast in the Lord. Let me say that again. This is, I want you to think through this with me. The Christ-glorifying proclaimers, that could be somebody in a pulpit, someone sharing the gospel with their grandchildren, with a neighbor, understand and we embrace our own weakness. In order to boast in the Lord. Through the foolishness of the cross and God's loving choice of individuals who make up the church, what, what he's doing here now is God is effectively showing that he eliminates human boasting when it comes to salvation and any work that God does. He's eliminating that. So Paul now is going to personally talk about that in the clear connection through verse 31. Look at chapter 1, verse 31, just a verse back. We ended with this last week. And we had a great time thinking about boasting in the Lord. I hope you boasted in the Lord this week. You certainly did this morning. He says, so that, just as written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So now Paul is going to say, look, the cross boasts in the Lord. The church, the chosen of God, boasts in the Lord. And now he's going to say, I boast in the Lord, even though I don't have superiority of speech. Look at verse 1 with me. And when I came to you, brethren... I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. So what Paul is saying, that when, when he made it to Corinth, he was not above God's plan. <laughs> he, he, he wasn't there to exalt himself. In fact, the text says he came with his own weakness. In fact, he came with what the world said was foolish. He came as a preacher clinging to the cross, not towards his great ability to speak. He came, listen, look at the end of this verse. He came with the greatest message ever, the testimony of God. We call this the gospel of God. So Paul is describing that God totally stripped him of self-reliance. So, now think about this, so that God's power would shine forth in a way that your faith wouldn't rest on humans, on Paul's great exposition, but it would rest in God. But it rest in God. I don't know how many times I've heard people come up and boast about who they were saved, what ministry they were saved under. 
And look, I understand you're, you're grateful. I've had people come to know the Lord under my ministry. I, I, I praise the Lord for that. But listen, we are saved under the ministry of Jesus Christ, period. I had nothing to do with your salvation. I carried a message of, of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and maybe you heard that, and God, God pierced you with that knowledge and that truth, and you understand and believe we are saved under the ministry of Jesus Christ. So here comes Paul. He strips himself of any self-reliance and says, look, I didn't want to get in the way of your boasting in the Lord. This is how we share the gospel, don't we? See, Paul was convinced that the true results do not come from personal wisdom, personal abilities. So he preached, not as some professional orator, right, that they had, the Plato's and Aristotle's and all the people that came from them that thought they were someone. He didn't preach that way, but he preached as one carrying, let's listen to this, carrying a life-changing message. Now, that grips me when I think about that. Each and every time I preach or just like you, I'm on a plane or a restaurant or on a golf course or somewhere, and I share the gospel with somebody, I am carrying a life-changing message. And it's not built on my abilities. When we say, Sky, you went to school, you did all this, you studied all these years, certainly you're better at it. I, I, Paul, Paul would slap you if you said that. He said, listen, do you believe in the message of the cross, verse 18? It's foolishness to the world, but do you believe it? Do you believe, verse 24, that Jesus Christ is both the wisdom and the power of God? Do you believe that? Then tell people. See, he says, you're not coming with all this superiority of speech. Not everybody gets up here because we do want people who can communicate something clearly. There's giftedness there. Maybe your giftedness is somewhere else. And, 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 and yet, at that same aspect, I've watched people who would never stand in a pulpit right here share the gospel at Panera, <laughs> share the gospel in their job, and clearly artic articulate the word of God. Now, Paul's just so convinced that he didn't save anybody. He just carried this life-changing message. I love Augustine, first century church leader, said this. He said, oh Lord, now listen to this, everything good in me is due to you, the rest is my fault. I like that. Everything that I say that is of goodness, of right, it comes from God, it comes from his word, I just brought the sin. That's what I do. And so God met me in my sin, gave me his son's righteousness, took my sin, pressed it upon, imputed it upon his son, gave me the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Oh, praise him for that. And there's no ability of our own. We simply bring the sin. But notice in the verse 1 here that there's a similar description of Paul's preaching that is connected to the foolishness of gospel. He says, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom. So in verse 18, they, they looked at the word of cross as foolish. To the perishing, it's foolish. I'm going to believe in a dead Jew who hung on a cross. What? I'm not killed anybody. I pay my taxes. You want me to believe in that in order to get to heaven? See, it's foolishness to them. This is where the Spirit comes in. He has to awaken you, right? You don't believe this on your own. Left to yourself, you're dead in your sins. You have no spiritual pulse, right? So God takes, by His Spirit, takes this truth and plunges it into your mind and your heart. And Paul knew this. He knew that his preaching would be foolish to the world. And just like the world would look down upon the message of Christ, they would look down upon Paul and his message that he carried. Now, clearly Paul is saying something like this. To the world, I was not distinguished enough. I didn't come in superiority of speech. I wasn't able just to flow out with these great sayings that just captured people, right? He said, I was not distinguished enough in my personal gift, that, so they rejected me. I think he's also challenging the church here. I think he's challenging the Corinth church particularly. Because they were doing the same thing in some ways. Paul has to bring this to center. He goes, look, you're caught up in worldly wisdom. You're caught up in what the world thinks and how they say things and how they do things. He says, that's not me. I'm carrying a message from Jesus. I'm carrying the message of the word of God. So I believe what Paul is doing here is he's challenging these Christians. 
in such a way in the light, in, in using the light of the crucified Christ, whose wisdom are you seeking? That's what he's asking. Whose wisdom are you seeking? Are you seeking the wisdom of the world? Are you seeking the true wisdom, the testimony, the gospel of God? Is that what you're seeking? And look, as we get into this, we've got to start pulling back some of the layers that we have protected around our own views. We've got to let the gospel help pull back some of those thoughts where, well, yeah, I trust Jesus, but whoa, do I trust him in all areas? See, that's what Paul's after here. That's what the word of God is after here. In other words, if you're going to reject God's word based on some giftedness or your own viewpoint, then your boasting will never be in God. See, Paul wants you to boast in God. He wants you to put all hope, all boasting, all praise what Jesus has done in our lives. Now, it's obvious Paul did not want to be identified with those who found their identity in their own giftedness, because that robs the glory of God. But his simple goal was no matter how elementary the gospel seemed to the hearers and to those who looked down on him, his goal was the gospel. So Paul in this letter was, was not there to wax eloquently. That was not his goal in any way. But his goal was to bring to their recollection Jesus crucified. Remember, this is a church. He's preaching to the church. These are people who at least profess their believers. So what Paul is bringing is this crucified Savior message that the world seems foolish, and he's bringing it to them and not a way the world would bring it, but through the power of the Spirit, he's bringing that to them to awaken them to Jesus Christ again. And you say, well, why is that true? Because we go to sleep to him some days, don't we? And you say, well, Scott, that's kind of harsh, but let me, let me point a little farther. Let me dig a little deeper. What issue did you have this week that was difficult? Did you run to Jesus? Did you struggle? How long did you struggle before you got on your knees and said, Lord Jesus, I need your help? How many big decisions did you make throughout the week before you ran to him for help? See, we find ourselves here all the time. And what I love about this passage is it brings me back not to go to my own abilities. Strengthen up. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, Scott. Be a man. Right? That's the way we're taught so often. Not Christianity. Christianity teaches us to go to a Savior who knows all things, who has control of all things, who loves us, who is completely sufficient in everything, in life and godliness. It teaches us to bow the knee to Him. And yet, I promise we could go around this room, and if we were honest, each one of us say, I didn't trust Him here, I didn't trust Him there, and I didn't trust Him here. That's our nature. So Paul's trying to bring us back. He's trying to bring us back to... to who Christ is, and there's a conviction here. So whether you're a preacher, a teacher, or anyone else, the goal is to share Christ, to share a conviction that the Spirit of God can take the Word of God and transform our lives if we'll just bow the knee to it. Now, notice his conviction. Verse 1, he says, and when I. So he's, he's tremendously convicted that he could not, on his own, muster up the right kind of language, the right kind of speech, say it in the right kind of way in order to people to know Jesus and walk with him. So he's, he comes, and I, and I love the conviction, look, honestly, I didn't have anything that they have. All I had was the gospel. And see, Paul believed it enough. He believed it enough. He believed that God, Christ was enough and he believed that he was the power of God and the wisdom of God. And so he would, not, he would not step back from that. Now, some might say, well, well maybe Paul is lazy. There's, there's been people who, anti-Christians, say, well, Paul was just lazy. He didn't want to work on his eloquence or anything like that. Well, let's listen to a few passages and see if Paul was lazy or incompetent in his preaching. Acts chapter 17, 2 through 3. And according to Paul's custom, listen to this, he went to them... And on for three Sabbaths, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, the Messiah. So notice where he went. He went to the, the synagogues who had rejected Jesus. In fact, felt justified in crucifying him because they looked at him as a blasphemer. So Paul, not being lazy 
Paul, certainly having some kind of wisdom and eloquence, had to stand week after week after week with people who hated Christ and hated that message. Oh, he was a bold but humble preacher. He also goes to um, uh, Miletus and he meets the elders of Ephesus. And I, I just got thinking about these passages as how hard Paul worked and how hard he worked on his craft to honor the Lord. So when he says, I, I determined to know nothing, doesn't mean that he was not working hard at things. In Acts chapter 20, verse 18 through 20, listen to this. You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time. Serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, and with trials, which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. Listen to this. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, teaching you publicly from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of the repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. He was a well-studied, well-prepared man, and yet he says, I'm not coming in my own abilities. And look, if you try to handle your situation that you have going on in your life, that difficulty that you're going through that only you know about or maybe those close to you, if you try to handle that on your own strength, you will fall apart. And here's what happens to us Christians. We lose our joy. We lose our joy. We temporarily give that up because we tried to do something through our own superiority, right? Through our own strength, through our own abilities, and we failed, And we lose our joy. And this message is about how to get that joy back. How to walk with the Lord and trust in Him and not our own abilities. So preaching Christ means that we must realize that He's commissioned us, no matter what our gifting is, to proclaim a message that there is a testimony of Jesus Christ. You are a message bearer and it's the greatest news in the world. We trust Him. We believe in the sufficiency of our Lord Jesus Christ. Number two. The sufficiency of Christ in his word is what the spirit exalts. The sufficiency of Christ in his word is what the spirit exalts. Every translation, as you look down at your Bible, that's probably in this room, will start with the word for, F-O-R. And it's a word that helps understand that Paul's about ready to give the reason for his statement in chapter um, verse 1, excuse me, in chapter 2, verse 1. There he said, look, I didn't come in spirit of speech or wisdom, but I came proclaiming to you the testimony of God. Well, how did he do that? Well, look at verse 2. I was determined. For I determined, now notice this, to know nothing. Now there's a difference between I'm determined, not, but you've got to read on. I'm determined to know nothing except, look how important words are mine, nothing among you except Jesus Christ in him crucified. So what Paul sees, he sees no value in distinguishing yourself with your own gifts. Some people really get caught up in their own gifts. If you don't let them teach, they're like, they're leaving, they go somewhere else. Um, they're caught up in, in what they can bring. You know who I am, what I've done. God is not interested in that. He's interested in a humble, broken heart. He's interested in someone who's so committed to the gospel that 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 rings, rings true in every aspect. That's what he's after. So Paul has no value. He puts no value in distinguishing himself here, his own wisdom or his giftedness. He, he even has a self-evaluation of himself. He evaluates himself. And he says, look, I don't, I don't have a superior speech. I'm, I'm not the wisest guy on the block. It, because he came face to face with the sufficiency of Christ. And this is why I want to, how I want to encourage you this morning. You say, well, Scott, I don't know that I could ever preach a sermon. But what you can do is you can tell somebody and live in front of somebody that Christ is enough. It's the greatest message in the world. It's the message they need for salvation, and it's the message they need for daily living. He is enough. You must believe that. See, this is the testimony of God. Notice the phrase says, to know nothing. Well, certainly Paul is not... Meaning here, just to forsake all knowledge, right? We've already seen how smart a guy he was as he stood in great conflict with Jews and Gentiles. But what he's saying here is, is I forsake anything that would rob the gospel as the central theme of the message. 
So when he speaks of the gospel, he speaks of the crucified Messiah. That was the central theme that captured his focus. It captured his passions in everything he taught. You know, so how do you know this? Go, go study on marriage. When you study on marriage, everything is about Jesus when you study the New Testament thing about marriage. Leadership, submission, oneness, all is based around the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he challenges children through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He challenges slaves. He talks about the building of Christ and the body of Christ, all built around the image of Jesus Christ. Everything he deals with comes through the crucified Savior and his resurrection. And so it's not as though he's um, forsaking knowledge. He applies it all to, he applies the cross, crucified Christ to every one of the doctrines. Now, notice he says, I'm determined. I want to go back to that. So now that we understand that he uses the, cross, the crucified Savior in every situation, here he's now purposing in his heart to continue regular practice that in every aspect of his life he would let the gospel take center place. Now, I, I chose words carefully there. He, he continued regular practice. And I, and I say that because I think I can say regularly or maybe consistently I try by God's strength and by his spirit to always put Christ in the center of the things I do. But I don't do it in everything. Because I fail at times. And it gets front and center of me. It doesn't take very long before I go, yeah, you just tried to handle that without a crucified cross of Jesus Christ. You tried to handle that without the gospel. And what came out of you was anger. What came out of you was, was frustration judgment of others and see all that stuff starts to come out of you you see, remember the heart out of the heart through the issues of life you start to go and i am not i'm not handling this through the gospel i'm handling this through my own strength and it's just a mess and i've lost my joy see what paul wants us to do is be determined be determined to everything we come to that that maybe that argument you had with your spouse to go back and now put christ into the center of that and solve it that way what would that do with the argument you had this week? I'm not looking at anybody. I'm looking at the top of you. Because <laughs> I don't know. What if you went back to that argument, that, that disagreement you had, or that frustration you had, and you put Christ right in the center of that? What would that look like? Wouldn't that be totally different? Wouldn't we both, whoever the argument was, wouldn't we both, I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? Because Christ forgave me. Um, let's sit down, let's talk about how we can glorify Christ in our marriage or this relationship or whatever this is. We would handle it completely different, wouldn't we? Because Christ is at the center of it. See, this is what the Apostle Paul is saying. I'm determined to push Jesus Christ front and center in everything we do. Because I don't know anything that works if we don't have Christ in the middle. But the world's saying, oh, we don't need you, Jesus. It's yeah, great, you can lean on him for certain things, but over here we have your answers for your problems. And he says, no, I'm determined. And I love this. I love it so much. If you've been in my office, this is up on my office wall, but my bookshelf, it says this verse, verse, chapter 2, verse 2. I'm determined to know nothing. Nothing. Nothing at all. Nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's a reminder to me day in, day in and day out to put my hope in him. So this means we must stand against the pressures of the day. See, the world's trying to de-elevate Christ. He's a big problem. <laughs> He's a big problem in the social justice movement. He's a big problem in, in critical race theory. He's a big problem in the gender movement. He's a big problem in, in all of the movements that are trying to tear down marriage. And He's a big problem. So they have to de-elevate truth. They have to de-elevate Christ. They have to de-elevate the Bible. They're after the years and years of people who have proclaimed Jesus is the only way. They've got to remove that. And so when we look at this, here's what God's telling us. Riverbend Community Church, be determined in everything you do to make Jesus Christ, the one crucified for your sins, centered of everything you do. Don't compromise. Do it lovingly. Stand on the cross and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is so important for us. So Paul has made this conscious decision based on the word of God, not to change his message, not to change his ministry, but to continually to preach Christ straight into the culture. And, and this book is so encouraging to me. Where our world's going, it's, 
you know, we joyfully celebrate the 4th of July, but in the back of our minds going, man, what's next year going to look like at this pace? Well, here's what this does. This reminds me, I have a message that I can preach right into the culture. They may not like it, but it's their only hope. See, Jesus preached in a way he crossed cultures. He went right through. No matter what it was, no matter what the issue of the day is, he was able to go right through. His message pierces the culture. And look, I, I, know, I know what's going on there. And, and maybe the younger generation, you might be struggling with this a little more because you get hit hard. You get hit hard at school. You get hit hard on jobs. You get hit hard in relationships about your view of what God says about, about anything in the Bible, let alone relationships. Listen, your only hope is Jesus in his all-sufficient word. And the minute you cave and start going down a worldly wisdom, a really fallen wisdom, you will lose your joy. You will not have a message for your friends. And they will die and go to hell. We have the hope. Are you determined, church? Is River Bend Community Church second service? I already asked the first service this. <laughs> determined to preach Jesus Christ crucified into the culture. Are we, are we together on that? Amen? I mean, that's, that's our hope. This is what we hold to. Now, Paul constantly had to remind them that he was a servant of Jesus Christ. By the time you get to chapter 4, we'll look at this in weeks to come. He said, let a man regard us in this manner, that we are servants of Christ. We are slaves is the word. That's how we should be. So I love that terminology because he goes, look, I didn't come in superior speech or this eloquent wisdom, and I also did not come with a superior position. When I look at you and you look back at me, we should be looking at slaves. We're slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans uh, 6 is impeccably clear on this. We once were, once were slaves to sin, now we're slaves to Christ in his righteousness. That's what we belong to. So whatever Christ says is right, whatever God's word said is right, that's what we now, in a loving slavery, drive the, all through my ear, I'm a lifetimer for Jesus Christ, that's what we do, no matter what the culture does. This is what God is calling us to do. And look, he gives us overwhelming conviction, and he gives us overwhelming power through the word and through the spirit. John chapter 16, let's write this down, 13 through 15. Jesus says this, and when he, the spirit of truth, he's speaking of the third member of the Trinity, right? The spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Now, now put this in the back of your mind. If you quench the spirit because you don't believe the word of God personally or, or you don't want to stand for him, you will quench the spirit. If you don't quench the spirit, here's what he'll do. He will guide you, the Bible says. He'll guide you into all the truth. Don't we need that? Man, when it's up, when the rubbers are against the road and somebody's ready to pound you because of your faith in Jesus Christ and what all of that means, you need the Spirit of God to help hold you up and help you speak truth in a loving way to a culture that's rejecting it. The Bible says, Jesus himself says, he's coming. Of course, this is pre his uh, crucifixion and resurrection and he's now here. And he'll take what is mine and he'll give it to you, he says in verse 14. And all, the thing, all, the, all that the Father has are mine. There's an equality before the Son and the Father. Therefore, I say he takes of mine and he discloses it to you. So certainly he's talking about some divine revelation here. He's going to take the, these disciples and he's going to write their scriptures through them. But the application is that God gives us the word of God through the spirit of God so we know how to walk in this life. Listen, I'd be lost if I didn't have this book. What would I teach to you on Sunday morning? I don't know what churches, not very far from here, teach. They don't use their Bible. They don't believe the word of God is sufficient. They, they now cave in on every social issue there is. What, what actually do they say on Sunday morning? Well, nothing the spirit of God would come along because the spirit of God comes along what the scriptures say. Are we committed to those things? Now, uh, can we say with Paul that we are determined to know nothing except Jesus Christ crucified? So where does that begin? Well, it certainly begins at the cross, doesn't it? 
The cross is a source. It's the starting point. It's where all the benefits of blessings come. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. So Christ, he, is our, he, is, he has the office of Savior. <laughs> He's our Savior. He has, we get the term deliverance from this. He's our deliverer. He breaks the bondage of sin and grants freedom. And that's because Christ became our sin bearer. He bore our sins, brothers and sisters. And he is our substitutionary sacrifice, and he propitiated, uh, his propitiatory work satisfied God. Now, God in Christ demonstrated infinite love through him. So this is what's motivating Paul. Here he's in an unloving situation. He's in Corinth. They're caught up with their wealth. They're caught up with their gifts. They're caught up with wisdom. Guess what Paul does? He comes in with the most loving message you could ever have, a crucified Savior. And you know what he does in the end? By the grace of God, he wins over a hard-hearted church because he preached the love of God. A little while ago, I did a series on salvation, and I called it the doctrine of love. Do you remember that? And many of you resonated with you because that's really what salvation is. It's the doctrine of the love of God upon sinful men that don't deserve it. So Paul says, look, everything we're going to deal with, all the issues you have on tongues and suing each other and, and divorcing one another and all the things that we're going to deal with, we're going to get into this in 1 Corinthians, we're going to come at it through the cross of Jesus Christ. And we're going to find an answer. Now, if you want to come at it, come at it outside of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to have problems. You're going to be frustrated. You're not going to like me. That's what Paul's saying, and I'm saying it too. We're going to come at every one of those issues that he brings up through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, this is sufficiency, isn't it? So God demonstrates this infinite love through saviors, and this connects all the theology, connects all of the teaching. Third thought, we must be confident in the power of the Spirit so that the power of God will overcome our fallen human wisdom and fear. I want to read this again. I know these are longer, but... There's lots of thought in this. We must be confident in the power of the Spirit, right? That's always connected with the Word of God, always connected with Christ, so that the power of God will overcome our fallen human wisdom and our fear. You and I battle with this more than we want to say. Because when a situation comes up, more often than not, unfortunately, we will start to think humanly of how to solve this situation. The Bible's teaching us to start to think biblically, start to think about Christ, start to think about his death, burial, and resurrection. How does that affect this situation? How does that affect what we believe? See, see the Bible's trying to bring us to that point, and so he knows there's a struggle, and he knows we need to overcome this fallen human wisdom that we'll turn to of ourself or even the world in all the fear that comes. So I think he has a really, there's bring, come a real weighty reality here. That apart from the Spirit's work in the Word, nothing can be accomplished. Look what he says in verse 3. He comes back to some very similar things. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Now, man, this poor guy has spent his life since he was saved on the road to Damascus serving the, the Lord Jesus Christ while serving the church. They ripped on him for his eyesight. We'll see where he responds to that. Um, he might have had an eyesight problem. You know, there wasn't glasses readily available in the first century. And so they ripped on him for that. They said his speech was contemptible. They, they, they didn't even like hearing him, let alone the message that he had. He's rejected as being an apostle. We'll see where he has to defend his apostolic position that God called him into this. He has to reject, they rejected him as an apostle. So no wonder he comes and he says, look, I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. Charles Hodge, writing on this passage, he was the principal of Princeton Theological Seminary in the 1800s, said this, Paul was oppressed with a sense of his own weakness and insufficiency. It is an anxiety of the mind he has rising out of a sense of insufficiency combined with this infinite important work. So Paul says, look, I don't have a superior speech but I got a message that is superior to everything. And so there's this wrestling in our hearts sometimes. What do we lean upon? Paul says, I'm going to lean upon Christ. But notice he uses some terms that resonate with us, right? Notice he uses the first word, weakness. It refers to anything from physical infirmities or 
being incapacitated, unable to move is the idea. There's times you've fallen into that, haven't you? Where something so difficult in your life, you just kind of become incapacitated. You need Jesus, but you, you need a dear brother or sister to come alongside and help you and point you towards that. Paul felt that at times, right? That's why he praises the Lord for Timothy and Titus and other men that came away that came to help him. The word has this idea of utter inability to accomplish a task, a powerlessness to it. Notice he uses the word fear. Um, phobos is the Greek word we get our word phobia from. It refers to the dread, now listen to this, of being left without divine assistance. Now, look, the last thing I ever want in my life is not divine assistance. But that's how the world operates every day. Every day your neighbor gets up does not have any divine senses except for the common grace of God that he brings rain and he gives food and he does all that. They go out and they make their decisions and they live their life with no divine assistance. And then there's the Christian. He or she wakes up, immediately becomes consumed by their problems and their issues and their busyness, and they walk out of the house, never take on God's divine assistance and lose their joy. When they have the right to it, Right? When we have the right to the divine assistance of God through the Spirit of God, through the work of God, and we walk out the Lord, we never ask Him for help. Isn't that silly? Uh, am I hitting anybody here besides me? Because that's how my week went. Times where I stepped out in life on an issue and I didn't call on the divine assistance of the Lord. And you lose your joy and you get frustrated and you go, oh God, and then you have to repent and oh, those things come. But here's what He's trying to do. Look, I need that. I needed that so I can see that anything that I try to do without his help will not be accomplished. He finally used the word trembling in this verse. Probably one that got me the most. It says, it has the idea of causing someone to quake. But the spiritual significance of this means that there's a sense of sanctified anxiety that comes upon someone who says, God, I am not worthy enough. I don't have the abilities, but I can trust you. I like that. See, you don't look at these things as negative. You look at these things as Paul saying, I didn't have all this, and yet God sent me to Corinth anyway. I had to carry this message in there that most people thought was foolishness. And he said, yes, I was, I was weak. Yes, I was fear. Yes, I was trembling. But in my fear and in my weakness and in my trembling, God was sanctifying me. He was causing me to trust him, to trust the message I carried. Oh, brothers and sisters, is that something we do? Do we trust it? Philippians chapter 2, 12-13 says this, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but, all, but much more in my absence. Now he says this, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now we know that verse does not mean, Oh, do works in order to gain salvation, because the next verse says this, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So what does this trembling mean? It is that holy, sanctifying unrest at times when we think about that on our own, left to ourselves, we would perish forever. There's a holy trembling before God and a need for him. Now, it has to go beyond salvation. And here's the problem with Christians. This is what we do. We get our salvation, and then we stop trusting Him in areas. Do you tremble before the Lord? Do you tremble before His greatness, His majesty, all who He is? Every knee will bow before Him someday, and we don't even ask Him to help us with our drive to work. Do you see that? Do you tremble before Him? Is He an awesome God that causes your knees to quiver spiritually speaking when you think about his great work that he knew you before the foundations of the world he let you live in your sin and didn't let you die in it but had a time and a place where he would raise you from the dead spiritually speaking and make you his child does that make you tremble oh it makes me tremble and to think some of us come and well man god's let me preach for 38 years and i'm something oh my goodness we're nothing. We're nothing without the cross. We're nothing without the greatness of our Lord Jesus Christ. God just handles things so differently. I've been studying and reading and working through critical race theory and social justice and all this stuff. Oh, 
is an attack on the gospel. I looked up a verse the other day, and this is the way God handles things so differently. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5, there are a lot of people aren't going to like this verse, but let me read it. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. So according to the way the system's running at that point, be obedient to your master. Then he says this, with fear and trembling, there's our same word, in sincerity, uh, in sincerity of your heart as to Christ. See, God knows how wicked men are, and they'll do terrible things like enslave one another. They've done it all since the fall, right? He knows that and said, but God does not always choose to pull somebody out of their difficult circumstances. He teaches the Christian how to live in them. Isn't that amazing? Well, God, won't you pull me out of this situation? Because you won't know me and love me if I pull you out too quick. You'll think you did it. You think you got yourself out of that financial issue. You'll think you got yourself out of that difficult relationship or, or this problem that you're having. He li- leaves us often in those difficult situations so we will bow the knee to him. And in the first century when slavery was um, rampant, half the church, many theologians say half the church was made up of slaves in the first century. He didn't say, oh, run away. In fact, he actually takes a slave back to his master in Philemon to reconcile that. He teaches how to live in those difficulties so the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is proclaimed. See, that's cross-centered living. That's, that's glorifying the Lord with the life that we have. But I don't like that life. You want to tell God that? Do you want to say, God, I, I'm not happy with what you're doing? Now, I think you can say that with a right heart. <laughs> but contentment comes with what God has done. Oh, God, this is what you've given us. This is who you've given me. This is the situation I'm in. Cause my heart to be consumed with this glorious crucified Savior that beat death for me and let me live for him. Look at verse 4 with me. Here's the reason why. He says, my message and my preaching were not of persuasive words and wisdom. Man, have you guys flipped the TV on every once in a while? Please don't, but you probably have, and you've seen these guys with $9,000 Armani suits on, driving a 50, flying a $54 million jet. These guys don't say the word um. They don't, they're, they're incredible orators. I mean, they flash, and, you know, of course, they got a little thing in their ear telling them about Bob over here who's sick, but, you know... Uh, these guys are professionals at what they do. And they're charlatans. And there's thousands and hundreds of thousands of people following these false teachers. Paul says, look, my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom. I wasn't there to pull spiritual rabbits out of a hat. I wasn't there to marvel you by what I said and what I did and who I slayed and who I didn't. Look at what he was there to do. He was there to put on a demonstration of the power of the Spirit. He, he didn't want them to come away and say, Oh, Paul, oh, oh, Cephas, oh, Apollos, I follow him, I follow him, I follow her, or whatever. He says, No, I want you to see the power of the Spirit. I want you to see how God works. I want you to see him. And that was his goal. In the most difficult circumstances, when he is hated, when he is rejected for his position that he had, he preached the word into the culture. Can we? Can Riverbend preach the word of God, both from the pulpit and from our individual lives, right into the culture, lovingly, speak the truth in love, be humble? But can we do that? And then one more question. Are you willing to suffer the consequences? Is Jesus enough? Is he worthy that we could suffer for it? They're, they're working hard at it right now. They're trying to pass laws to take our 5013 Cs away. They're, tr- they're working at it right now. What will you do with Jesus? Paul said this in 1 Thessalonians 1, 5. He says, our gospel did not come to you in word only, but in, also in power in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. And then listen to what he says. Just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. I love that verse because what it tells us is that he goes, we're not just preachers. The message has changed us. <laughs> That's different, right? 
Are you just a hearer? There's a lot of good hearers in America's churches. You go overseas and they, they want to know about the hearers. It's, wow, we, it sounds like there's thousands and thousands of people that go to these churches. There's one in Houston that's like 45,000 people. Not to mention any names. Are they just hearers? They'll ask me that in their language. Are they just hearers? Or do they believe in Jesus and are they doers? And I have to say, not that church. <laughs> and not many churches. Most people want to be hearers. We want to sit in the pew. Man, that was a good sermon. Scott really got it good today. Or Scott, that was terrible. Or whatever, you're right? You're the Monday morning quarterback of the sermon, right? But then there's the people who Jesus says, blessed are those who not only hear but do. See, see, the gospel has to push us, has to say he's worthy to stand for him. He's worthy when the hardest trial, when your heart's hurting the most, when there's difficulties going on, just say, Jesus, my faith is in you. I'll obey you even though it'll cost me. Because I know there's great reward. If it doesn't come in this life, it'll come in the next. And notice, look, he says, there's a demonstration of the spirit and of power. The word of God never comes without the spirit of God. When you share the word of God with somebody, you, you can be assured the spirit of God's coming to change that life. You can speak with confidence that he's coming. He's coming with that word of God and he's going to change lives. That's what he does. I stand at those steps every Sunday morning and the last words I say before I, I say, I believe in the spirit. I believe in the spirit. I believe in the spirit. Because I don't believe in myself a whole lot. I know what kind of week I've had. I know the difficulties of my own personal struggles at times and trying to care for a large congregation, all the things that go on that left alone, I got nothing to tell you. <laughs> oh, give me the word of God and the spirit of God. There's so much to share. There's so much to learn. See, there's a trust in it. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 7 says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You can't separate them. You get the word of God, you get the spirit. What, what can we not conquer when we have the Spirit of God with us? See, friend, we must make an allegiance to the text. No matter what your situation is going in, do you make a, have you made allegiance to God's word to say, I will trust you no matter what I'm going through? Well, verse 5 tells us why that's so important. Look at this. He says, so that your faith will not rest in the wisdom of men. Here's a great conjunction, but on the power of God. Oh, look, you don't want to get to heaven and say, Hey, I'm here because of Scott Menez's ministry. You're going through another door. <laughs> I can't get you through the cat door. <laughs> I, I can't get you through anything of myself. You would say, if the Lord looked at you, you stand at the gates of heaven by death or by rapture, he would say, why should I let you in? He'd say, you would have to say this, because your son died for me. And he rose from the dead and beat my sin. And I put my faith in him by your grace and mercy. And he'll say, welcome in, son. Welcome in, daughter. Uh, you can't get in by the power of men. So he says, look, I don't want your faith to rest on the wisdom of men. I don't want your salvation to rest on some guy. You'll go straight to hell. And I don't want your daily living to rest on people because you'll be joyless Christians. One last thought before I wrap this up. If your faith and your struggles that you're going through are rested in this person, this other person maybe you're struggling with, if you're resting whether that's all going to get right or not, you're going to have a life of hard times. You cannot control what God is doing in that other person. What you can do is you can submit to Jesus Christ and his word. And he'll give you peace even in difficult situations. He made slaves happy godly people in the first century because they dedicated themselves to the Lord and he watched out over them even in the most difficult situations. He took women who were sold, sold into sexual slavery, Sarah, by her own husband and he calls her a holy woman of old because she put her hope in God. That's why she's a holy woman of old. Where's your hope? Where's your hope, friend? Is it in this world system? Is it in world in psychology and um, you know Fauci's and CDCs and and whatever else? Oh man, our hope is in Jesus. It's in His Word, and we find hope there. Look, the Word of God. If you want to believe it, it'll go right to your heart. It'll cut all the way to the middle. It's a two-edged sword. It'll judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And I think sometimes, brothers and sisters, we have to say, "Oh Lord, look deeply at me. 
through your word. Last thought, real quickly. What will you do with the spirit-inspired, life-giving power of God, the Bible? What will you do with it? Maybe 4th of July, 2021, will be the day you found freedom in some areas. Maybe, maybe you're here and you're gonna, God's opening your heart and you're receiving Jesus Christ right now as your Savior. A room this size, as many people in here, doubtlessly there's, there's unsaved people. Maybe people have been playing Christianity, but they're not saved. Maybe on this 4th of July, God is going to make you dependent upon his son for the first time. Do you believe that? Do you believe he can do that? Maybe you'll find freedom there. For many of us that are Christians, we need to find freedom in other areas. We need to find freedom in, in that he owns us. He knows our life and breath, doesn't he? It's been exposed, the church has been exposed this last year. In many, many ways, around the country and around the world. We, we, we say, oh, he knows our life. He knows Psalms 31, 39, 139, 16, that he knows our days before they were ordained. All of that, with not one of them have been completed yet. He knows all that, but yet, boy, when it came down to it, a lot of church said, yep, we're done. We're out. See, maybe God says, look, you want to stay under fear? But this morning you're going, Lord, I don't want that anymore. I want to be free and it doesn't mean we don't make biblically wise decisions, but we now trust him with our breath. Scott Menez cannot die one second before what God has designed according to the scriptures. Do you believe that? Do you believe he's ordained your days? Live like it. Be free. <laughs> Find your freedom this morning. Don't live like slavery. Don't, don't stay behind the bars when the doors open. Run out. This applies to your family. Oh, we had a hard, hard thing happen to our family this week. Robbed my joy for a few days. Crushed my soul in a sense. So hard to see people reject Jesus. You take it personally and you try to handle it without the crucified Christ and you find yourself miserable. And you find yourself kind of back in the jail cell with the door open going, wish this wouldn't happen. <laughs> and the door's open. What's going on in your family? What's going on in your marriage and your relationships? What is, what's going on there where you need freedom from? You're, you're going back into slavery because you're not trusting Christ in a sufficient word that can give you everything you need for life and for godliness. How about your finances? That hits most of us in this room, right? Most of us don't have all the money in the world to do whatever we want, and that's probably a good thing. You can say, God, I thank you for what you gave me. Might be not a lot. For some of us, might be your bank accounts might not be real full, but you're getting enough. You're here. You're, look, thankfully, you're all dressed. Most of you look like you had breakfast and coffee. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for that. You know, being content with those things. Lord, you've given me what I need. Let me give back to you. How about your marriage? Somebody sitting next to you or someone you should be sitting next to. Have you honored God? Is Christ enough in that marriage? Is his word enough? Can he heal broken, broken people? Look, my Lord Jesus takes demonics living in tombs that are not in their right mind. And at the end of the parable, at the end of the story, they're in their right mind wanting to be a missionary. That's the power of Christ in his word. Changes people's lives. He'll take on your mental, emotional, and physical health, and he'll do it right. Oh, submit to him. He's our only hope. Did your heart need to be revived today? Mine did. Closing just a few weeks ago, I read Psalms 119 from verse 1 through 176. I read it straight through and took a pencil and marked in this Bible every time there was a phrase that referred to the word of God. 176 verses, every phrase has one in there. I, I walked my way through that, and I got done, and I was weeping, saying, Lord, let me trust your word. Let me believe in the sufficiency in the most difficult times of my life. And so your homework this week. Sit down, read Psalms 119, take your pencil out and mark your Bible, and remind yourself the word is sufficient. Father, thank you for this time together. We we're so grateful on this Independence Day that we have become dependent upon you because of your grace and mercy through a crucified Savior that all of our hope is in. Oh, Lord, you're so good to us. 
Why would we run to the world? Why would we run to worldly wisdom that's only going to perish with the world? Lord, help us trust you. Help us believe in the sufficiency of Christ and his word. Help us not to be dependent upon ourselves. Oh, Lord, we need to come to you, not with our superiority, not with our abilities, but humble before a God who loved us before the foundations of the world and hasn't quit and will not quit loving us. Break our hearts today, Lord. Some in this room, Lord, that you know need to bend their knee. There's all of us in here that need to be more consistent with you. Trusting you, believing in you, clinging to your crucified son and his word, Lord. Allowing the spirit to have full room in our lives and not quenching him through sin. Lord, capture us today. Don't let us be the same when we came in, Lord. Change us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with me for a closing benediction? O oh, gracious Heavenly Father, your mercy and light has given us freedom from bondage of our sin. Your word continues to give liberty to those who obey it. May we cling to your all-sufficient word as it constantly draws us back to the message of the cross. May we, too, take up our cross and follow your Son and experience the joy and satisfaction found only in him. And may we receive the strength and discernment to reject the wisdom of a fallen world and cling to our Savior in his truth. Amen.